right, we got a special treat today, and you saw it in the episode title. Six bold predictions for the Patriots 2022 season, because what do we love more than bold predictions? Just about nothing. And at this point in the offseason, look, the draft is behind us. Free agency is months ago. The Patriots have been rebuilding, retweaking, reloading. They're moving forward, and so are we, with a lot of help here today. These six bold predictions are courtesy of six of my fellow beat writers, friends who I can very thankfully text late on a Sunday night and then record in the next 24 hours with them for them to carve out some time. They are my colleague, Kerry Gregan of the Boston Herald, Jim McBride from the Boston Globe, Zach Cox from Nesson, Chris Mason at Mass Live, Mark Daniels from the Providence Journal, and Henry McKenna from Patriots Wire. I didn't know any of these predictions save for Mark before they came on and unveiled them. I thought they were crazy when they first said them, but each and every one of them kind of convinced me to come around a little bit. Things like why Mac Jones could soar all the way above expectations, how things are going to settle with the play calling. I don't want any spoilers here. And things defensively, they went under the radar in 2021, but should surface here in 2022. So stick around for all of them. They were great. I appreciate them taking all of their time. Presently, as this hits your eyes and your ears, if you're watching on YouTube, I'm actually in Europe. So we recorded this before minicamp. If there's any sort of major news that broke, we skipped it, but we covered that in our minicamp episode with Jeff Howe, if you haven't listened to it already. So moments away, six bold predictions. In the meantime, I'm going to make the one ask that I've been waiting a good month. I've been good. I've been patient to ask you to take two seconds. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Subscribe on iTunes and Spotify, wherever you find your podcast. We are growing here at Pat's Interference. This thing has done much better than we could have hoped and expected and jumped into. Former Patriots players Ted Johnson and Christian Fourier have come on. We've had Tommy Kerr and we've had Kevin Clark, almost every one of the Patriots beat, and we're going to keep expanding here. And we can do that with your help. So two seconds. If you're going to listen to an hour, take an extra two seconds, give that five-star review, and it'll be a huge help. So that's it. Six bold predictions, hopefully a five-star review. And here we go, leading off with Zach Cox. Okay, Zach Cox from Nesson in the house. Zach Cox, a, a reasonable man, maybe not bold predictions, his forte, but I'm excited to hear what you have to say because, you know, again, you're very reasonable, you're thought out, everything is, is on point with your coverage in a lot of different places at Nesson. But three years ago, I had you on in a similar format of my old pod, and your prediction stuck with me because back then it was heading into the 2019 season, Gronk had retired. You said all of the left over tight ends, they can play every game. They can combine for any statistic they want. Their output will not match what Gronk did despite missing three or four games in 2018. You were so right on that, that the Patriots dug themselves further in a hole in 2020 with the worst tight ends room and have only now recovered. So I don't know whether you're responsible for all the money spent on Hunter Henry and John, John Smith, because you nailed that prediction, but um, the stakes are high is what I'm saying, because what you're going to say, I think is going to, it could very well come true again. Man, I, I totally forgot about that prediction. And now I'm, I, I wish I talked about that more. That, that makes me, <laughs> that makes me look really good. I, I think I was actually even a little bit too optimistic with those tight ends. Cause I don't think they all combined for a third of Rob Gronkowski's production the year before, but yeah, as you mentioned they're they're in a little bit better shape there uh, at the moment, but still plenty of questions about that group for sure. Yeah. And you know what, let me just run down those tight ends because I think people forget as we tend to do. I mean, this is pre pandemic. This is pre Tom Brady. I don't know which, which event Brady leaving or pandemic arriving was more seismic, but for the Patriots, Brady was throwing to Matt Lacoste, Ben Watson, maybe a year or two after he should have retired. Uh, and Ryan is that was about it. Matt Lacoste led the group. He started eight games. He had 13 catches. Oh, it's actually second to Ben Watson, 17. Neither of them cleared 175 yards. Ryan Nizzo had six catches for 114 and one touchdown. And honestly, that group was significantly better than the one they rolled out the following season, which yeah. really tells you where they were in 2020. 
Yeah, horrible. Dalton Keene, Devin Asiasi. But hey, look, a lot of people try to start careers in 2020. I don't envy them, and maybe they'll turn it around here in 2022. But something tells me you do not have tight ends on your mind with this bold prediction. I do not have tight ends on my mind, but I do have offense on my mind. My bold prediction for the 2022 Patriots is that Bill Belichick will not begin the season as the Patriots offensive play caller, but he will end the season as the Patriots offensive play caller. I I believe there will be a switch at some point during the season from whether that's Joe judge, whether that's Matt Patricia, I don't know who is going to do it to start, but I just, I don't know. I think you're going to hit a point at some point during the season, things just aren't working offensively the way that the Patriots are used to having it work and the way that Bill Belichick is used to having it work, that he's eventually just going to say, all right, I'm just going to do this myself. You guys coach the quarterbacks. You guys coach the offensive line. I'm going to call the plays because I at least have some experience doing that in the past, which is not something Joe Judge or Matt Patricia can say. I mean, maybe I'm I'm too low on this current coaching setup, uh, but I just I have a difficult time envisioning either of those guys taking over and this Patriots offense staying at the level that Bill Belichick expects it to be after all those years with, with Josh McDaniels. It's just, it's the single biggest question about this Patriots team right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, something just, I, I have a hunch that Bill Belichick is going to be the man calling the shots by the end of the year. God, I love this prediction for so many reasons. You hit on one of them. People forget, and maybe they don't now because we brought this up as a reason Belichick could call plays and he was doing it one to OTA. What does that mean? And, you know, a couple episodes ago, I just said, okay, OTAs, what have we learned? I don't know. You know, <laughs> you can't firmly bank on anything, but you can bank on the fact that in Cleveland, Belichick called offensive plays there yeah. when they were doing this whole same charade of, we don't know who the offensive coordinator is. And Bob Sosi, the radio announcer, tweeted out a clip of, of an article from Cleveland back in those days that was detailing the same thing. So Belichick's done it before. Point number two would be he did this also in 2019 when Steve Belichick was taking over calling plays. Gerard Mayo was in the mix of some capacity. But you go back to week four of that season, not a shining year for Ryan Izzo, Malikos, and Ben Watson, as we covered. But Bill Belichick is calling plays at the end of a win at Buffalo that they barely get away with. And it was in a very critical situation, defensive two-minute. He's making all the signals like, again, we're going back 25, 30 years. So he'll jump in at the most critical junctures when there's some uncertainty. And third uh, is the most obvious point. Joe Judge and Matt Patricia have not inspired any confidence. You are not too low on this. There's no reason to have faith except for your faith in Bill Belichick, who might, as you mentioned, just realize I'm the best guy for this job. I don't like to call plays offensively or defensively, but if it's best for the team and his judgment, that's always what they're going to do. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I just, we've talked about it ad nauseum this off season. We'll continue to talk about it in the, the weeks and months ahead. But the fact that the Patriots are going into a season, a pivotal season for both the entire franchise as a whole and Matt, uh, Mac Jones, their promising second year quarterback. You've got a quarterback like that going into year two and you put a coaching staff around him that does not have a single person who has ever called offensive plays at the NFL level or a single person who has ever coached quarterbacks at the NFL level. And yes, Matt Patricia and Joe Judge both are very experienced coaches. They've both been head coaches. They've both been coordinators for a very long time. They've both been in New England for a very long time. And there is a in Bill We Trust aspect of all of this, just because if anybody knows the capabilities of Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, it's Bill Belichick and he wouldn't put those guys in there if he didn't think that they were the quote unquote best people for the job. But I don't know. I just have a hard time seeing this setup working the way that Bill Belichick wants it to work and believes it's going to work. 
which is why I keep coming back to this, that if, if you're asking somebody, who would you have more faith in to call right. the Patriots offense, Bill Belichick, Joe judge, or Matt Patricia, I think a lot of people are going to say Bill Belichick in that regard. Uh, I think if you're asking a lot of people, pretty much anything, who do you have more faith in doing X, Y, Z on a football field than Bill Belichick, Bill Belichick's usually going to be the number one choice for, for most of those. And this being just such an important, uh, again, such an important place for this franchise and such an important role, uh, in, in this coaching staff and in this team. I mean, even if Mac Jones looks great this year, if, they're not calling the correct plays for him and putting him in the right position to, to succeed. He's probably not going to succeed. So uh, again, it's just such an important role and, and Bill Belichick, I think could probably do it better than the other, uh, the other candidates here. So I, I don't know. I think he realizes that at some point this season and I think he eventually takes over. And here's the thing too, like we can have little faith or in Belichick's case, a lot of faith in Joe judge and Matt Patricia to this point. And faith will carry us all the way through August, even through the exhibitions when they're going to play in the preseason and we'll learn a little bit more. And, but they're all going to stick to the base offense. Eventually faith ends when ball meets foot week one in the regular season, because there will be a scoreboard every single game and the missed opportunities they have, you and I are going to be documenting as well as the ones they season capitalize on. So it could very well work out that Joe judge and Matt Patricia in some form, take over this offense and thrive. Uh, but, you know, right now, nobody knows, not even Belichick. So the, I'm looking at the schedule now because we played this game, you know, with the quarterbacks last year, right? Cam Newton, Mac Jones, when does Mac Jones take over? Yep. We all said around Houston week five, or, or most people did because it was a soft landing spot. And I think it's a different way to approach the play caller question, right? Because I mentioned the stakes. Belichick is willing to jump in when the stakes are highest and leave his imprint. The bye week, though, is right in the middle of the season. So that's kind of a good time for any sort of seismic change like this. Then you've got the Jets at home at the Vikings in a short week Thursday night, Bills at Cardinals Raiders, and then you finish with the Bengals and Dolphins and Bills. Any game there or the bye week jump out to you, or is it even earlier? Because week five this year is the Lions followed by the Browns and Bears. That's a soft landing. Maybe Belichick doesn't need it. When does this transition happen, if you had to guess? Bye week is a a safe bet there just because as you mentioned, it does fall in the middle of the season this year. Uh, it was a lot later last year. It was like week 14, I think yeah. um, this, this year it's back kind of where you want it to be right in the middle of the year. But it's, this is also a situation where again, none of us know exactly how this play caller situation is, is going to play out at the start of the year, but it does seem like it's going to be more of a collaborative effort on offense, regardless of who ends up having that play sheet. Uh, it does seem like, Bill Belichick, Joe Judge, and Matt Patricia all are going to be involved as, I don't know, call them co-coordinators, call them whatever. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it's going to be as clear of a hierarchy as it has been forever with, all right, well, Josh McDaniels is the guy running the show, and then everybody else is kind of his sort of lieutenants underneath him. I do think there's going to be more of a uh, a mix there at the top, which maybe if, if this transition does happen during the season, you could say, all right, well, it's not like Bill Belichick hasn't been working with the offense all year. It's not like this has been a one man show and somebody's yeah. going to have to come in and completely take over everything and change things or anything like that. Uh, so I think it, uh, again, if this thing, if this transition does happen, I think it would be a, a smoother transition, I guess you could say, than it would be if Bill Belichick took over for Josh McDaniels halfway through last season or, or something like that, just because I think it's going to be, you're going to have more collaboration in there from the top. But to answer the question though, I mean, uh, mid mid season by, was it a week nine by week 10 by week 10 by week 10 by, I mean, I think that's a logical uh, projection point. If you're, uh, if you're predicting this. Yeah, I'm looking and I think if things do go south, you know, in w whatever way and I, Belichick won't, 
um, be reluctant to pull the cord because, you know, he wants to do what's best for the team. We've heard it say it time and again, and part of it's to evade questions, and sometimes it's just the truth. But I think that faith in Judge and Patricia is something that will take a while to erode because they brought them back, gave them offensive titles, leadership positions. They both lit Nick, Nick Cayley as the longest-tenured offensive assistant. I'm going to go after the Thanksgiving game because that's, you know, we hear all the time, most important football, it's after Thanksgiving. The first game after Thanksgiving is Thursday night at home against the Bills. Yep. That is not only just the best team in your division. That is a defense that has had its clamps on you since Sean McDermott basically took over in 2017. You go back and look at the numbers. And I cited this all the time last year, Brady had more picks than touchdown passes against him in his last few years against Buffalo. So I think if you're trying to throw them a changeup, Belichick calling plays in what should be your first full week, Thursday to Thursday, at home prime time, I think that might be might be the time. I think that's a good one too, especially since that could be. I mean, depending on how the Patriots season is going to that point, that could be getting toward must win territory uh, against a, a division team late in the year, early December. Uh, yeah, I, I I actually like that as a uh, as a point too. And the point you made as well too about the Bill Belichick's kind of connection to to Joe Judge and Matt Patricia, I do think that's going to give either one of them a lot more leeway, so to speak, than, than maybe another coach in this similar situation has uh, because Bill Belichick obviously does value both of them as coaches, obviously wants both of them to succeed as coaches, whether it's here or, or vaulting to another head coaching job somewhere else. So yeah, I definitely think that would give them a little bit more of a, uh, a longer runway than maybe some other coach would have in, in a similar situation. So I'm looking at their game two weeks after that Bill's Thursday nighter at Vegas. Everyone's very excited for a lot of obvious reasons. The least, the latest reason I'm excited about this is now talking about Belichick calling offensive plays. What I would like to see for that game, after six days of him denying this is Belichick versus McDaniels, it's not about us, it's about the players, blah, 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 is for him to call offensive and defensive plays. Give me Bill doing what he hates to do on the sideline, but all game and making this as personal as possible. It, you couldn't pull this off for a variety of reasons. and You, you have help in your ears, play caller in either instance, but just – just give me him going, just flip the same sheet over offense to defense in every single drive and see what he could do. Just give me one game. Oh man. It, it's the, the Pedro Serrano moment. He's just like, no, yes. I'll do it myself. I'll do oh, it myself. Great uh, reference. I mean, obviously I'm, I'm very excited for that game. Uh, a lot of us are very excited for that game. It's, it's weird that the, the joint practices almost kind of temper my expect or mm. my excitement for it. Cause it's not really something that you're going to be building up toward all year. Now the first kind of, matchup between Belichick and McDaniels obviously it'll probably get to that point during the year um, but the fact that they will all be on a practice field together in <clears throat> in August definitely sort of changes my outlook a little bit but uh, those are those will be a lot of fun too out in uh, out in Vegas in late August but um, it'll yeah. be uh, yeah that'll be fun for sure. I think uh, too is just I'm glad this game is late in the year. You know, yeah. like we don't know how the Raiders are going to take shape under Josh McDaniel. So all the inside information he has in the Patriots would be, you know, most pivotal and most uh, critical to whatever matchup is going to play earlier in the year. But once they get tape on him, that wanes that advantage kind of wanes as you go later in the year. And I think Week 15 is a good spot. Uh, we'll get you out on this because Vegas now, of course, stirred my mind about what that road trip is going to look like. And Tommy Kern, I think last month asked for everyone's rankings of the road games. Give me your top three road trips you're most excited for. Let's take Vegas off the board. So I'll refresh your memory. We have a Miami, Buffalo, New York, of course, at Pittsburgh, at Green Bay, at Cleveland, um, Minnesota, and Arizona. I think my number one there just has to be Green Bay. Uh, yeah. I mean, maybe people who have covered games at Lambeau don't have it as high, but I, I've I've always wanted to go to Lambeau. I've always wanted to cover a game 
in Green Bay. The, the fact that it, it only happens once every eight years with the Patriots. I'm definitely very excited to just kind of experience that whole uh, atmosphere, which from what I've heard is, is really different than anything else uh, in the NFL. So that, that would be my, my number one non Vegas choice. Um, I've always had a good time in Pittsburgh. Uh, I think that's a pretty underrated city uh, and underrated um, kind of destination for, for Patriots yeah. fans. Uh, it's, it's definitely a one that I would definitely recommend uh, folks do if they have the chance, especially because it's not uh, too long of a, uh, a flight to get over there. And then beyond that, I guess Arizona, just because I haven't been yeah. out there. It's one of the one of the stadiums that I, I haven't checked off my uh, my list at this point. Um, I'm, I can't say that I'm excited to be in Minnesota on Thanksgiving night. I think um, you have PTSD, though, too, because I didn't cover that Super Bowl up in Minnesota and stay in the Mall of America for seven straight days. I yeah, I spent probably like 130 hours in the Mall of America that week. And I uh, I was doing a pregame, a pregame video hit. For some reason, we did it outside. It was me and Doug Kide and Courtney Cox who were at Nesson at the time. It's the single coldest I've ever been in my entire life. It was probably a two and a half minute video. I'm, I'm sure it's still on YouTube somewhere. Just the three of us are just like shaking while we're trying to break down this game. And I can't even, I don't even want to know what our analysis was. It was like, yeah, it's going to be a good game. See you guys after afterwards. It was, yeah, I definitely still have some, uh, some not so great memories of, uh, of that week in Minneapolis for sure. Yeah, so I've never been. I'm excited for that game. I want to do Thanksgiving once. The stadium is awesome. I will say the stadium is very, very cool. Yeah, and I feel like the crowd, the Vikings crowd, is probably a little bit underrated, especially in a state like Minnesota, which no knock on Minnesota. I think it's just a fact. Top 10 or top five drunkest state in the union. Like Wisconsin (laughs) is number one. I know that for a fact. Uh, So you give them all Thanksgiving to sit around, long weekend, nothing to do the next day. I think they'll show up and show out. So, all right, Zach Cox, we'll see if you can go two for two with these bold predictions. Hopefully I have you back on sooner than three years later to do the same segment because you crushed it. And man, Bill doing offensive plays late in the year. I I can't wait for that. Jim McBride of the Boston Globe, kind enough to come on Pat's Interference. First episode for him. We're definitely going to have you back. But, you know, how soon will probably depend on this bold prediction, Jim. So you've been thinking, you've been waiting, you've been working, what you got? Yeah, so my, my big bold prediction is kind of a subset of, a, of another bold prediction. Uh, so I think that your, 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 your leader this year in all-purpose yards is Pierre Strong. Wow! Holy smokes! You might yeah. take over the podcast with how bold yeah. that was. You, can, you have a, a lifetime pass. Tell me more. I think I'm thinking, you know, like 700 yards rushing, 700 yards receiving, and maybe another 300 yards returning uh, if he if he's allowed to do that, because there's going to be huge uh, competition for that. Uh, I love this pick. Um, I thought, you know, uh, he was one of the few guys that I had linked to the Patriots that the Patriots have actually mm-hmm. picked over the last eight years since I've been on the beat, because I'm usually, you know, um, pretty over uh, yeah. when it comes to that. And I uh, just watching this kid's film, uh, listening to him talk. I think he's, I think he's really good. Um, I hope he's, you know, I know we haven't seen a lot of them. I hope he's not hurt too bad. Oh, this isn't a red shirt yet. Cause then this bold prediction is going right out the window, but, uh, yeah, I love this kid for this offense. I really do. I think he's going to be max best friend, especially with the, you know, with the question marks surrounding James white. I mean, the hip injuries, you know, all injuries are bad, but hip injuries for football players and hockey players, you know, it's, kind of tough tough to overcome so uh, I think this kid has the skill set to come in and be uh, an impact player um, for Joe Judge for Matt Patricia for whoever's calling these plays 
Yeah. All right. First, I'm going to try to peek over your shoulder. So Pierre Strong is not there with the proverbial gun at your back, making you say these things. <laughs> He's a water gun. We'll say a water gun. Uh, secondly, I, I like the white point because that was the framework for the pick, right? Like this is a guy, fourth round pick. We see it time and again, redshirt year, you come through and take over those pass catching duties. And it's a lot to do with his speed, but you're right. The raw talent there, the speed component of it. The only question with him really in college, aside from the small school competition was the fumbles, but we, as we saw last year, I don't know if Bill is getting softer on us. Ramondre Stevenson fumbles week one. Damon Harris fumbles week one. Their awesome. stays in the Real doghouse awesome. were short. They're back and leading and having perhaps the best tandem in the whole NFL there in the backfield. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that, you know, like they always say about Bill, he evolves. And he knows that th- those guys were, were going to be key to helping Mac become a successful quarterback and get back to the playoffs. So you, you couldn't, you couldn't keep those guys in the doghouse as long as maybe you would have in the past. Um, you know, like, uh, uh, going back to like, uh, Steven Ridley who, who had his you know mm-hmm. battles with bumbles and he was constantly in the doghouse and, um, you just couldn't do that because you, you needed these guys to contribute. And, you know, another reason why I love Pia strong is like, I think he's, he could end up being a real feature back. I mean, you think about Damian Harris, great player last year of his contract, is he playing so well that he's playing himself out of New England? And now you're, you got Ramondre, you got Pierre, you got Kevin Harris, you know, uh, are those guys, are they setting these guys up for the future? And I just think if he's allowed to showcase his, his talents in, in training camp, I, I think he makes a big impact for this team and he becomes like Mac's best friend. Yeah. And so you maybe one, one a with Hunter. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's tough being the next door neighbor there in terms of the best friend power rankings. Um, but you mentioned the, the evolution with Bill, which is so spot on. And I think it's interesting, too, because not only just Pierre Strong, but Taekwon Thornton selection is the fastest receiver time at the NFL Combine just flies completely in the face of things that not only you look at their draft track record, but they don't care a whole lot about 40 times, even their higher picks at running back and receiver. Sony Michelle and Nikhil Harry, by that metric, were pretty average in terms of long speed. And Nick Casario was speaking at Sloan about a year and a half ago and saying, honestly, the 40 might be the least important number. And yet here with this turn, the Patriots admit what everyone's been saying about their offense for so long. You need that home run threat. And it'll be really interesting to see how much they're willing to swallow and stomach. We touched on the fumbles, but, you know, whether he can hang in pass protection, not because the speed is there. That's something where, again, you can bang your head against the wall for three quarters. If you get a breakaway in the fourth, the game changes just like that. And there's no one else on the roster who can do that. Yeah, and I wonder if they change philosophies with Josh not here anymore when it comes mm. to receivers swallowing this playbook. We know it's a an advanced playbook and it's hard for guys to pick up, but maybe whoever's you know coaching him up the most says to Taekwon, here's six routes. Just master these six routes. Yeah. Don't worry about the, you know, the the variations of them. Just get this down and we'll we'll take baby steps. And I don't think that's something that Josh you know, necessarily did with these guys. He wanted them all in right from the beginning and, and, you know, it it was sink or swim. I don't know if you can do that with this guy, but certainly when you draft a guy in the second round and he's got speed the way he has, you got to use it. You got to utilize it. So, yeah. And when I say that, that Pierre Strong's, uh, the bold prediction was kind of a a subset. My, my kind of overall bold prediction is that I think this draft class has a chance to be better than last year's, which was, you know, a lot of good impact players. I think Cole Strange, is a starter from day one. I think Taekwon's going to make an impact. I think these, you know, Marcus Jones is going to be, you know, a, a great special teams player, even if he doesn't make defense right away. Jack Jones, 
the way he can ball hawk, you know, I, I, I sound like, you know, hometown rah-rah guy, but I really <laughs> like this draft class. And I was really kind of bowled away by the way Matt Groh talked about it. Like he, there was some serious conviction when he talked about and was like even defending his draft picks. Like, you know, he had a little edge about him. It was, it yes, was he like, did. Hey, you know, I, and I like that. Um, I could even see Bailey Zappi jumping Hoyer as the, as the backup guy, as, as you know, as the number two guy. And, you know, if, if they need to go in and win a game, you know, this kid's smart enough to, to go in and win a game. We'll see. But uh, I, I like this draft class. I know everyone gave it C's and D's, but um, you know me, I'm not, I'm not a big uh, tweet, tweet, tweeter guy, Twitter guy. You know, I kind of stick to the facts, but I, I, I kind of laughed at those things afterwards. Like let's let these kids play. And you know, if, if they're garbage in two years, then we can trash this draft class. But um, I, I think I'm taking the full Dan Roach positivity, uh, you know, tacked on, on this draft class. I like these guys. I like it. And you know what? I had Chad Finn, your colleague on uh, last episode or two episodes ago, and we kind of did look, it's been an off season of negativity for agency. You know, no one came draft was full of disappointment from a fan standpoint. And part of that is baked into just the idea that when your first round pick is a, an offensive lineman, be an offensive lineman from a small school and see someone that even yours truly, you talk about writing and being on deadline, something, you know, I had as a quote day two prospect to watch in the Friday edition of the Boston Herald that next day. <laughs> it's just a trifecta of the fans are going to be on you. And the only right. way to get past that is just, you have to start from day one. And I think you go back to last year's class. I think it's a good framework for this one because what the Patriots tried to do, and I think succeeded, we can already say this after one year, is thread the needle between helping the team now and, of course, building for the future, which is what the draft is for. But when you look at the state of the roster pre-free agency 2021, they had so much work to do. And they filled in their gaps with free agency for the now. And then they still had to obviously want a quarterback. You look at the defensive line, Mac Jones, Christian Barmer, boom, boom. Reminder, Stevenson was kind of a cherry on top. The rest yep. of their picks, though, Redshirt guys, Cameron McGrone, Joshua Bledsoe, Ronnie Perkins, just sit, watch, learn. We've got enough help now. What do they do? And I think when you look ahead to this class, Cole Strange and Marcus Jones, obvious day one candidates, of course, at left guard and then maybe as a returner or push for some corner snaps. Like there's a chance they thread that needle again. I'm not as, as bullish on you. And I think Tyquan Thornton might even see a redshirt year just because the veterans ahead of him, unless of course they deal Nelson Aguilar, but there's potential there because of all the different picks, yep. the depth, and even your guy, Pierre Strong, you know, Damien Harris gets hurt. Ramondre Stevenson's just in his second year. Maybe those fumbles come up. He could very well be the third down back of the future, but a kind of backup early down guy now. Yeah. And if he's, even if he's, he's a guy that's kind of a red shirtish, if you're learning from James White, you're learning from a real good guy. Like James White got to learn from Shane Vereen. Like that's mm -hmm. a, that's a pretty good, um, you know, lineage right there. So I like it. I, I, I like this, this, this class a lot. And, um, you know, time will tell. Yeah, um, in the third I'll tell you one, one thing about Cole Strange. I, I went to Knoxville um, and did mm -hmm. a feature story on him and, and um, this kind of got left on the cutting room floor because we just only have so much space. But oh, I love this. Um, yeah. Talk to, his, talk to his coaches uh, in, in the, uh, in the meeting room at his high school. And man, those guys were really upset at Sean McVay and his reaction to the Patriots uh, selecting him. Like they were, you know, in retrospect, after they, they thought about it a while, they were like, okay, he wasn't being that mean. But they were, their initial reaction was like, who the hell is Sean McVay to, to doubt our guy? And yeah. I, I really love the way they got their backup to, to, to support this guy. So Good. kind of a nugget that didn't make it to the story, but, you know, it's out there. 
Yeah, that's why we have a podcast. You can come on and give us that that extra good stuff. It it was a really great story for the folks who haven't read it because we're all pushing out some versions of the same thing. And I think yours came out maybe a week or two later, but that's where the case where either do it first or do it best. And I think that the the detail you had in there getting into travel in Tennessee was just evident for anyone who read the first couple paragraphs of that story. Um, appreciate that yeah and i think sean McVay's doing okay as much as you know yeah. I, he might want the approval of those <laughs> high school coaches in tennessee just getting married to his fiance winning the super bowl but um yeah cole strange i mean as we've seen could be plug and play right there week one and hey maybe he's blocking for the running back of the future there one last note uh we always leave out danny woodhead in this turned out conversation right it's because he wasn't drafted like shane Vereen, yep. james white he was pre-shane Vereen there 2010 2011 a little bit later danny woodhead misses the cut at the u.s open you play golf are you going to be covering the open? What anything coming up here for you taking some time off in June? Yeah, actually, much like you, where you wore two hats this spring where you were covering the Celtics for a while. I will be covering golf, actually starting right. tomorrow. I'm Excellent. going up to the Canadian Open um, to get some storylines uh out of that for the, the US Open. And then I'll be in Brookline all week next week. Um look really looking forward to it. You know, having covered um PGA tour events I haven't covered golf since I covered high school golf for the globe, you know, it's gonna be a little different Jim. years ago. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it should be, it should be interesting. Maybe some time off, uh, early July. Uh, yeah, but, uh, should, should be fun. You know, if you, if you want to follow along for the golf coverage, uh, you know, be, be, be kind. <laughs> Definitely do. Yeah. Karen will be there. I'm going to be overseas, uh, traveling, but I, I'm gonna. I think at 3 a.m. turnover, pull up the phone, see who everything's going on back home because there's just gonna be so much good content when you got a, a tournament like that. And I tell people this surprises a lot, especially the occasions I get to speak to classes. The most fun I've ever had in the job, I've been to a Super Bowl, multiple Rose Bowls, was the U.S. Women's Open in 2015. I'm working for a small town paper in Pennsylvania because you just spend the four or five days watching, walking the course. It's beautiful weather venue everything and you're just so close like there's nothing that beats that kind of access because then the storytelling gets so much better and i didn't know anything about women's golf until six months before that you do your research like you're traveling to the canadian open and we record this year on tuesday june 7th it'll be out you know a week later but it's it's just you can't beat that the venue the competition everything up front just a relaxed atmosphere and then you get to sunday and it's like here we go. So yeah, follow Jim for the golf coverage. Of course, all the Patriots, any major scoops, you're going to have them from Jim McScoops over at the globe. I appreciate you taking the time with predictions like that. I'm telling you, I joked at the beginning, you're going to come back very soon. All right. Absolutely. Thanks for having me in anytime. Hey guys, just a quick break to remind you, you are leaving money on the table. If you are not signed up with bet online, AG, our partners at bet online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. And now it is an overly saturated run over industry. The folks at bet online, AG have been doing this forever. So you can find updated odds on the NHL playoffs. What's left of the NBA playoffs fights and even full season futures, especially for major league baseball. The socks are surging again, and you can enjoy this doubly with a little money on those both socks. So bet online, is your continued source for all your wagering needs and don't forget they also have vegas casino and poker games it's super easy to get started on any of that so head to the website today or use your mobile device with our promo code clns50 again that's clns50 to receive a 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit again a 50 percent welcome bonus if you just enter clns50 at bet online where the game starts Karen Garigian, my colleague and the queen of the Patriots beat since her reign started in 0607. Thank you for coming on Pass Interference. We have a bold prediction from you here today as well as everybody else. Um, I think you might have the boldest to date, though, 
which means the the stakes are highest for you here, Karen. Like you built up all this credibility, as I mentioned, since you know 06, 07. It could come crashing down if this bold prediction falls flat, though. Well, yeah, I'm kind of zagging or zigging when everyone else is zagging <laughs> on this one. Yeah, uh, I don't think anyone thinks with a, with Joe Judge and Matt Patricia involved <laughs> in the offense that, that they just kind of see them going, <laughs> but. I have faith, and it's not necessarily in them. It's in Mac Jones. Mm. And I think either because of them or in spite of them, I think I think the Patriots' offense is going to be up there in the mix in the top 10. And I, I, I expect even better things from the offense this year than last year. As I said, whether it's because a result of Joe Judge and Matt Patricia – or in spite of them. <laughs> I like it. All right, so we'll lock in top 10 in scoring. We look back to last year. The Patriots were one, two, three, four, five, six in the NFL in scoring. It's a little misleading considering the two teams behind them went to the Super Bowl, the Bengals and Rams. Patriots, 27.2 points per game. Bengals and Rams, 27.1. So they were kind of a fringe top 10 scoring offense. You go over to DVOA, which you know all too well I cite as much as, I don't know, anything in any article. I'm surprised you haven't given me crap about it. But it's, they were they were ninth by DVOA. So I think they're the fringe top 10 team. Obviously, everyone's talked about the AFC got better, mostly with the weapons. So teams like the Colts should take a jump, a team that finished 10th last year in scoring. You go a little bit further down, the Titans could make that leap. The Ravens can't be, you know, any more hurt than they were a year ago. And, of course, the Raiders, who are just below average, that's a team that could go in the top 10. But you feel good about the Patriots hanging with them. Well, yeah, I think they will hang. And I like the addition of Devontae Parker. And I think he's going to open up quite a bit for the offense. Uh, it's too early to, for me to say whether Tyquan Thornton will have any impact yet or if he even gets on the field. Uh, but I just, I just think with another year, uh, with Kendrick Bourne, another year with Nelson Aguilar, if he's still here, mm -hmm. another year with the tight ends. I, I'm actually expecting more from John o. Smith too. I'm in that in, in that club where I think year two, you know, he won't be a complete zero. And so I think, I mean, they somehow managed 27 points a game last year. And I I think Mac is going to get better. I think they're going to present different challenges for defenses with the additions they have, and they're still going to run the ball like crazy. I like it. Now, I think the argument against this is kind of what I hit on earlier, right? The AFC is too loaded. They can't keep up. And we'll go into the positive side in a second. But I think the second argument you would make against this, you listed running backs, receivers, and tight ends. The offensive line now, two new guards, essentially, although Michael Wenu is an old face there, a third-year player at right guard, Cole Strange at left guard, and then the bookend guys we know have had injury troubles, Isaiah Wynn and Trent Brown. So do you have just better faith that they'll be on the field this year or that Justin Haran could chip in in a pinch? Like, where's your kind of feeling about the offensive line, knowing it all starts up front? Well, I, I actually really like Cole Strange, uh, maybe not as a first-round pick, but as a player. And I think he's going to have an impact uh, with, with the offensive line. I mean, injuries, you, you, yes, there's guys who are injury-prone, and obviously that could derail everything if Trent Brown gets hurt, if Isaiah Wynn gets hurt, and they're playing with subs. But I'm assuming health. I'm assuming uh, – you know, Matt Patricia will have the offensive line ready to go. 
and you know they will protect Mac and he will have time and make defenses pay. Mm, I like it. The other part about that too is, you know, I mentioned Cole Strange question mark, Mike on one and less. So if a lot of it is health, there's a universe in which this just goes right. And I think you could still pencil in three or four missed games, Trent Brown and or Isaiah win. Justin Huron, I think is a fine swing tackle on the interior. If you just have one rookie, that's a lot easier to help and plug one hole, right? Versus multiple. And when you have everyone around him, is at least a third-year veteran or older looking at David Andrews, Brown, Wynn, and Onwenu. Like, that's easier to help if he needs it. And if he doesn't, you're looking at not only just a big offensive line, particularly on the right side with Onwenu and Trent Brown, they're very mobile. So you've kind of unlocked, like we talk about all this different scheme stuff, passing the ball and running the ball. You can do anything you want with those guys up front, given their experience, their versatility, and athleticism, especially with Cole Strange aboard. Yeah, and, and I think – the Patriots are actually kind of going to get up on the times a little bit and be a little more creative offensively. Uh, it's because of the personnel that they have. I mean, Kendrick Bourne kind of leaked it out a little bit that uh, there's going to be some changes uh, and he's going to be a big part of those changes. And I think that, you know, utilizing him or, you know, doing a lot more things, uh, you know, that the Rams do or the uh, 49ers do with their offense, offense coming a little bit up more with the times. I think you have the personnel to be able to do that. Yeah, Shanahan style, which we've seen a little bit here with some bootlegs going. I haven't seen Mac Jones run six bootlegs all of last year combined, and we're seeing him in one OTA. And I, and I, I, I don't think Mac Jones gets enough credit for how mobile he can be. And I'm not saying he's a running quarterback by any stretch of the imagination, but I think that you can roll him out. I think you can, you can do some of these uh, uh, play action type things and, and option type of passes and things. And they have so many people now who can be on Mac, who could throw the football, not that, <laughs> Not, not that you want people throwing the football beyond Mac, but they have so many versatile players, uh, even with the rookies who have experience doing a little bit of everything. So if you put it all, I mean, if, if Joe Judge can actually be creative in incorporating the parts that he has, I think this offense can be pretty darn good. Yeah. So you're saying no Bailey Zappi, Mac Jones, Wildcat going on in terms of multiple passers no. at the same time. No, you're not in favor of any of that? Okay. No, no, no. Okay. All right. Well, I like it. And the last point I'd say, because again, I think the arguments against this are obvious. There's a reason your prediction is bold is because most people don't expect this to happen. I think the Patriots will just generally, and I've said this before, have an easier time having a plan B, right? When they fell behind against Buffalo and you're putting it all in this rookie quarterback with limited weapons, if Kendrick Bourne missed a game, Nelson Aguilar, Jacoby Myers, they're in real trouble. When you add Devontae Parker, it's not only like a good piece, but if he misses a game, he's still got three or four receivers in the mix. And if John o. Smith can step up a tight end, you have other ways, other places to go with the ball. Whereas last year it was very easy to identify. They're going to be under center, multiple backs more than almost anybody else. When they go three wide, you know, it's going to be somewhere over the middle because you just don't trust Mac Jones making those, those deep out kind of throws or deep over the middle. Yeah. And I, I agree with all that, but I also, again, I'm basing a lot of this on Mac Jones. Yeah. And he's taken the time during the off season, obviously to shed some of his body, baby fat, <laughs> body fat. Uh, and, and he looks meaner and he promises he's going to put on more muscle and bulk. I, 
I think, and you know, he's been working, throwing the ball in all kinds of conditions. I think he was affected by the fact that in the Buffalo game in that horrendous windstorm, they only let him throw the ball three times. Yep. I think I think that's somewhere in his psyche that, you know what, I'm going to be able to throw the ball. Don't, you know, we don't have to run the ball a hundred times in bad conditions. So again, I, I like what he's shown. I like what the game he's talking about. And I, and I think, as I said, regardless of who is in his ear or whatever, I just think he's going to improve. I like it. All right. I'll get you out on this. Can I get you to go top seven in scoring? Or are we going to stay in top 10? We'll stay top 10. Okay. <laughs> Smart answer. I'm only outrageous to a point. Yeah, this is, this is true. That's why you're a vet. You stuck around for a long. Carrie Green from the Boston Herald. I will probably call or text you very soon once this spot is over. But I appreciate you taking the time. Sounds good. Thanks, Andrew. Chris, number 69 of the Mass Live sports staff, Chris Mason, Patriots beat reporter. Some say the bad luck for the Patriots since you took over. What is their official record since you uh, started on the beat? Oh, man. I- it's 500. It might be a little under 500. We're going to have to check the archives. But yeah, when I started in 2019, they were 8-0 and they went 4-5 and five the rest of the way there. And then 2020 and 2021. So it's... the first game was at uh, that Sunday night game against the Ravens, right? Yeah, at Baltimore. Yeah. So some people equated Tom Brady's decline. Obviously, that wasn't true. Some people say the pandemic, bad drafts. But I think we just we have you here to, to blame. I'm happy to shoulder that blame. It's I mean. <laughs> Uh, you are what your record says you are, right? Yeah, yeah, I like it. All right, so you have a specific bold prediction. I'm told I don't know exactly what you're going to say, but I think this is going to run contrary to what, a lot of what we heard. So what you got? By the end of the season, running back one, RB1, is Ramondre Stevenson. Mm, I love it. Tell me why. I think you hear a lot about the year two jump in the offense, and, you know, wide receivers talk about it. Everyone talks about it, like, Ramondre was really impressive as a rookie. So what's to say he doesn't take another step forward this year too. You know, he not only made the roster right off the bat, he didn't get redshirted like Damian Harris did, but he was in Bill Belichick's doghouse right off the bat. You know, first game couldn't have gone any worse, climbed his way out of there and, you know, had some really impressive runs, showed some flashes. So I think you give him another year, you're going to see that more consistently. And I think it's going to get to a point where he's got to be your, your number one. I said this, I think, a couple episodes ago. I don't remember who, and I didn't say it as eloquently as you did. But the point that sticks with me about Ramondre, he does a better job of creating on his own. You know, whether it's breaking tackles, he's got a little bit more wiggle to him side to side, but he still carries and runs at 225, 230. A lot of that is his light feet. And you look at his stats last year, averages 4.6 yards per carry, same as Darian Harris, obviously on a lighter volume, 606 yards, five touchdowns. He also gained 8.8 yards per catch. And that was something that was different. We had few, few, four fewer receptions than Damian Harris, despite playing three fewer games. And I think that trust in the pass protection, you know, and as a receiver is the biggest jump you see year one to year two, typically with running backs. He started to make that leap crouched and got off the ground at the end of last year. Yeah, absolutely. And just the running style alone too, like, you hear him say his goal is to never let the first guy tackle him, right? He's like, ah, whoever the first guy is, he's not bringing me down. And it feels like so rarely, like that actually happens, right? Where he's one-on-one with a guy and he gets tackled. If anything, like he's running the guy over, falling forward for at least two more yards or breaking it. I mean, he's very, very difficult in the open field. As you said, he makes a lot for himself and they clearly trust him enough in pass protection to throw him out there, which is huge in this offense. 
Yeah, and you're not going to have a whole lot of pressure, I think, from behind him on the depth chart, right? Like they did draft two running backs, yeah. but you know, they're day three guys. Pierre Strong is, is looked as maybe the successor to James White on third down. You know, that's obviously a lofty standard. James White himself is back, but he's not going to be contributing in early downs. And Damon Harris. To his credit, played 15 games last year, but we know he was questionable for at least half of those, and of course, right. missed two more. So injury and health is going to play a role. And reminder: Stevenson can hold on the ball. I think he's probably the most naturally gifted guy. Um, now, I got to ask you this: Is this someone who has reminder Stevenson in fantasy? Is that maybe where this is coming from at all? <laughs> no, I'm not a fantasy player. That's that's not my cup of tea. Mm, just, all a, right. just a hunch, just a bold prediction. Yeah, it is one. That's why we have you here. You know, it's interesting, too, because we look at Damian Harris' the second year in 2020. I mean, I remember even talking to people, you know, within the team. We're like, all right, is he going to is he going to play? Is he any good? And they're like, we we honestly don't know. And I think that's, you know, something we always have to keep in mind, particularly in June. It's just there's so much uncertainty with these guys. But for Ramondre Stevenson, even in a small sample, again, just 133 carries, to show what he did, the strength of that sample is really positive for him moving forward where I think you're right. I mean, with Damian Harrison, a contract year, the way they're going to trust him. Like, do you think he just wins this outright? Is this factoring in Damian Harris's health injuries or are they looking ahead with the contract? Like where, where do you think he takes over and why? Um, I think, I don't think it'll be right out of camp. I think this is going to be something that happens gradually as the season goes on. And I think, you know, you're just going to, it's more of a commentary on Ramondre than Damian here where like, yeah. I think at this point you kind of know what Damian is. Right. And it's a really good quality running back, but I think Ramondre's ceiling is even higher. And that I think as the season wears on, the more that he shows up and the more like that he impresses, I think he's going to make it impossible not to give him the, you know, the first series, give him more carries, give him basically just keep feeding him. You know what I like too about these guys is, is they're very physical runners, also in blitz pickup. There was some hit or miss there, but some strides from Damian Harris. And again, that's the hardest part about playing running back. I remember asking Bill Belichick about that, my first presser with Bill, and they had just drafted Sony Michelle. And I was like, okay, let's go. Good, straightforward football question. No room for getting dunked on. I said, what's the hardest part of playing running back as a rookie stepping into a system? And he just looks and glares at me, going, who the f are you? <laughs> it was like, pass protection. And there was just like a subtle next, you know, ready mm -hmm. going on. But it, but the answer sticks with you because I think it shows up time and again. We said this, Damian Harris, James White, Shane Reen all essentially took redshirt years and that was why. So, you know, for Ramondre, I think this is a long way of saying they could open up that old, you know, pony offensive package where you're going 21 personnel, but instead of a running back and fullback, you've got two running backs out there. And that used to be James White and Rex Burkhead. Why? Obviously they were the better pass catchers on the roster, but it left something to be desired from a blocking standpoint. And I'm not saying you solve your fullback problem if they have one, which obviously it looks like they're not going to go with one, but having Damian Harris or Ramondre Stevenson go that way. But if both of them continue to take strides as receivers, you could still run the ball from what should be, a you know, personnel wise, a running set that it becomes a passing grouping for the Patriots and now finds a little bit more balance because these are big hulking physical dudes. Exactly. And it's, yeah, I mean, you just kind of articulated it, but I mean, if you add like Ramondre to that set with a James White, then you have two very different backs that you yeah. like, trust in both. And like, you're just even more versatile. And, you know, how often do you hear them talk about that versatility, versatility, the more you can do, the more you can do. And like out of that set, you'd be able to do a whole lot. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because I think, you know, you're not asking Ramondre Stevenson to play fullback, you know, in six games or even on 60 snaps. But when you get close to the goal line and, and so many of those red zone trips are going to decide games, not only just in the division, which we've seen obviously with Buffalo the last couple of years in Miami, but late in the season against Arizona or Las Vegas, you know, th those late season games, 
scoring and introducing a wrinkle like that, particularly with a staff in Las Vegas, it's going to know you so well. Could, right. could be a touchdown that decides a game, a game that decides you're standing within the playoffs or whether you make it in or out, which isn't to put all of this in a second, you're running back and reminder Stevenson, but he kind of encapsulates what you're talking about. A lot of versatility. Um, we'll get you out on this. Cause I, I talked to Mark Daniels about, I call him quote uh, dad of the year uh, so far. You are new dog owner, co-dog owner. Your versatility is increasing. Although you grew up with dogs. How's, uh, how's the new pup? She's good, man. Got her on a four mile walk this morning. So she's all tuckered out. She's- passed out right over there yeah it's a it's a good setup she's been good you need to go two days with her like she's she's still pretty young right? oh yeah yeah like, absolutely two days i mean she's a husky too so you know they're uh they're pretty rambunctious a lot of energy so you just gotta you gotta tucker them out you know early walk late walk get it done yeah well she's a husky so she's she's a good girl as uh as all uconn grads will attest to oh uh, no <laughs> <laughs> you had to know that was the reason I was asking. Uh, Killy. Shout out Killy. Well, we'll have you back, not just to talk Killy, but obviously the Patriots just kind of wraps up our off season here, but I'm really glad you uh, took the time to come on, man. <laughs> you got it. Thanks for having me, buddy. Mark Daniels of the Providence Journal is here. Mark has been everywhere this off season covering, of course, the Patriots, but also Providence basketball. You got to go on the team plane. You're in Chicago. Now you're back. You're dad of the year so far, as far as I can tell on Instagram. Um, there we go. Thanks for making some time here, bud. Yeah, man. Just, you know, trying to, trying to you know trying to be versatile right the more you can do trying you know really trying to be dad of the year though that's i guess that's the goal it's the goal every year well it's i think you've got, this is speaking of somebody who doesn't have kids but you've got uh your son is three or four he turned five and my daughter's Just, turned three yeah so i'm not in the running for friend of the year on the beat but you're you've got like your hands full i think it's my point so yeah you're hanging in all yeah, right I'm, I'm, I'm exhausted but let's you know let's, let's get it rolling yeah, yeah, good good time for a break for everybody. Um, look ahead to this season. Patriots are not getting a whole lot of breaks. I think for deserved reasons we've covered between free agency and the draft, you know, we're getting a look now. We did it at minicamp and everything moving forward. But we won't really know anything until the summer, aside from guys that are holdovers. And I think that's where I think you're leaning defense here and kind of come to a guy who's not getting a whole lot of attention with your bold prediction. Yeah, my, my bold prediction is that the Patriots' number one cornerback will be Jalen Mills and that we will not notice a steep drop-off. And I, I really liked Jalen Mills last year. And I'll admit, I think people sort of saw a rough couple of games. There was the uh, – he gave up the game-winning touchdown, I believe, in Dallas. At least he was on the field. Yep. He, he was he was rough against the Cowboys. However, the last – I have the stats here, so I'm going to look over my shoulder. But the last nine games, he was legit. So let's break it down. The first seven games, Jalen Mills allowed 62% of the passes his way to be completed. It was 16 to 26 for 251 yards, four touchdowns for a 133.1 pass rating. That's not good, right? So the first seven games, people were like, we don't want to see Jalen Mills on the field. However, as the pass started to switch to more zone, we saw Jalen Mills, I would say, improve a lot. So first seven games, 62%, you know, completion percentage on him. In the last nine games, he gave up passes on 33.3% of the balls thrown his way. The last nine games, opposing quarterbacks were 7-21 to 21 for 72 yards with two touchdowns, and Jalen Mills had four pass breakups. He was legit in the last nine games when they played more zone. And I think when you think about the Pats' secondary, and especially the issues they had in Buffalo, he wasn't on the field. The Pats didn't have Jalen Mills. They didn't have Jonathan Jones. And, and frankly, as we saw, their depth was horrible, and they couldn't replace those guys. But I thought Jalen Mills was really rock solid, and I think this, uh, you know, the stats that I kept last year kind of showed that over the last nine games, he was quietly locked down, like quietly locked down. So I look at this cornerback group now, and I say, all right, 
Malcolm Butler, probably everyone's sort of favorite or personal favorite who they want to be the number one. You have Terrence Mitchell, a guy who has a lot of experience. You have a rookie in Jack Jones. No, man, I think we're all overlooking Jalen Mills. He's back from a year in the system. He was good over the last half of the season. I'm telling you right now, number one cornerback on the Patriots, not who we think it'll be. It'll be Jalen Mills. And I think he's going to play well because I think, as we know, they'll they'll play more zone. They'll be faster up front. And I think he'll be good. I think he'll be solid. I, I feel confident in this take. I think you hit the nail on the head there inadvertently talk about the Buffalo game, right? Because we go back in time now four or five months. Yeah. The idea was no Patriots fan should have felt good going into Buffalo. Like I was openly advocating for you want to go to Cincinnati and have beat them two right. out of three rather than go to Buffalo. And that plays out. But the reason that anyone might've had confidence was the idea. Fingers crossed. We get Jalen Mills back, which imagine saying that at the start of the season for the reasons right. you outlined they're man heavy. He's playing a position that I could say they did not plan on having him there full time. He's just a bandaid until Stefan Gilmore gets back. Gilmore never comes back. We'll stuck. You're stuck at corner start 16 games, seven pass deflections, no interceptions, but he had 47 tackles and was generally very sure, sure as a tackler. And, and I like it because of the reason you mentioned, too, is just the zone. Like, he's making progress in an area right. that helps. You're not asking him to be one-on-one. -on -one. And I remember talking to him last year. He talked about just defending the deep ball, like not biting on double moves. To the point Bill is shouting him during that Carolina game from the sideline, <laughs> right. like, here comes right. a double move. And sure enough, yeah. DJ Moore is trying to roast him up the sideline. If he, like the rest of this defense, and you're right on this, just keeps things in front of them. I think that's the key to unlocking whatever potential they have this season. And I would love to ask him this. There was a three-game stretch. It was Dallas, the Jets, and the Chargers. He gave up four touchdowns in three games, yeah. which, is, which is not good. But then after that, started that nine-game run. He only gave up you know, 33% and then two touchdowns in the last nine games. I'd love to ask him this summer next time we talk to him, like, what, what went right there? I imagine it was more zone. I imagine they helped him out a, a little bit. But, you know, you to see a newcomer sort of struggle initially is not surprising. I mean, Stefan Gilmore's first year, I mean, he dealt with the concussion, but he struggled, you know, in coverage with the Pats. Even Darrell Rivas once told us back in 14, like his first four weeks, he was still kind of figuring out the Pats system and how they do things. But, you know, we always talk about the second year jump with younger players, but I think that applies to free agent additions as well. And obviously the Pats have a ton sort of fit in this category since they signed like a dozen free agents a year ago. But I think Jalen Mills fits in that category too. A, a second year in the system, I think we'll see a more complete and a more consistent Jalen Mills going forward. He's also someone you could just count on. I mentioned he played 16 out of 17 games last year. He's going to be healthy. Like this is a guy who's not yeah. dealt with a whole lot of injuries throughout his career, late round pick worked where he is. And that's a player who was again, very volatile in Philly, but the volatility part swings to, you know, giving up touchdowns, like you mentioned four and three weeks to zero, almost over that nine or 33% completion percentage allowed. And I think if the Patriots can kind of up, you know, whatever his basement is or that worst and kind of shrink the volatility, but in a way you would want to, that starts with the double moves. If he's not giving up explosive plays, you'll deal with, yeah, he gave up a curl, yeah. you know, on third and seven, they moved the chains, but they're not in the end zone. Like that, that's what counts here with Jalen Mills. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, too, to think about, you know, they lose J.C. Jackson and all of us are like screaming trade for a corner, draft a corner in round one. And it doesn't happen. And you go back and look like, all right, Terrence Mitchell and Malcolm Butler. Really, let's be honest, kind of scrap heap type guys. And then Jack Jones, Marcus Jones, third, fourth round. You know, I wonder if they are more confident in, you know, their depth chart than, than we are. And it really this offseason reminded me of 2015. In 2014, obviously, the Pats win the Super Bowl, but that year they lost their top three starting cornerbacks in Darrell Rivas, Brandon Browner, and Kyle Arrington. And their big free agent additions were like Terrell Brown, this guy named like Chimity Chekwa. They didn't draft anyone. 
So everyone's like, what's going on with this group? And yeah. it turned out they really liked Malcolm Butler. They really liked Logan Ryan. And, you know, I, I eventually, uh, actually, Terrell Brown actually started too, but he got injured. But yeah, it was those guys like Butler and Ryan really stepped up for the past. Guys, we didn't know about. So yeah, I think it'll be Jalen Mills. But I also wonder too about some of the younger guys on the roster. And I'm not talking about Juwan Williams, but maybe Sean Wade. We see yeah. something more from him because this offseason sort of gave me that 2015 vibes where it's like, there's an obvious pressing need based on the player they lost. Why aren't they doing more? And maybe they just have more confidence than, you know, the outside does. Yeah. And sometimes they're right with that. And sometimes they're wrong. You know, we saw that with kind of quarterback and tight end in night or in 2020, right? Cam yeah. Newton's here, Devin Asiasi, Dalton Keene, obviously big misses. They fixed that by going to free agency. And I think with corners, you hit it on there too, where Joan Williams swinging a miss in 2019, Duke Dawson, 2018 before him never plays it down for the Patriots. So they did address it with Mark and Jones and Jack Jones players that I think it's safe to say they like better than most, but if they're either more confident in their free agents or those rookies, and one of them hits, they're in a much better position here, assuming Jalen Mills is a constant. But going back to Jalen Mills real quick, um, this refreshed my memory just reading his stat line that he didn't have an interception last year. Does that worry you at all, understanding teams were kind of throwing him versus J.C. Jackson last year? Yeah, I think we look at, I have a total here, it's like six touchdowns allowed, seven pass breakups, no interceptions. That's not great. Yeah. You know, so that's why that's why it's a hot take, right, that Jalen Mills is going to be a number one corner. But, you know, maybe, maybe he'll get some balls thrown his way. You know, I mean, yeah. come on, Tua, Zach Wilson, there, there are some not-so-great quarterbacks in the roster, and I sort of believe that when they play the Browns, it will not be a starting caliber quarterback. Maybe it's Baker Mayfield, you know, when they played Cleveland yeah. this year. So, yeah, it, I think the lack of interceptions is certainly a concern for your top cornerbacks, but I have faith. I have faith in my man, Jalen Mills, that he's going to surpass expectations. And I might be biased, too, because he's good to the media. and he's, he's great to talk. So I think those guys, it's really easy to root for. Like Kendrick Bourne, I hope he goes off for a 1,000 yards this year. Yeah, my bold prediction was all pro Hall of Fame, Kendrick Bourne. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Like, give, give me him. And it was like Devin McCourty was always easy to root for because he was great with the media. But, you know, I hope Jalen Mills falls in line. It would go a long way, you know. Yeah, so the pass goes zone. They're, they're quicker. But, like, you can't have a bunch of sort of lame ducks out there in your secondary because it's not going to work against Josh Allen. And they have a really tough schedule, too. When you think about the receivers and cornerbacks, you know, Vontae Adams, I mean, Jamar Chase, it's – they're locked and loaded, so they're going to have to be ready. But, yeah, my scorching hot take this time, man, Jalen Mills, cornerback number one, bring it on. I like it. All right, we'll get you out on this. Uh, dad of the year so far, uh, what are the plans for the summer? You go, you guys going anywhere far? We are going on a cruise. Um, it, it could go fantastic play. with me and my wife and my, my two kids. It could be horrible. But, yeah, we're <laughs> leaving from Boston, going to Bermuda, seven days total. We have a room with no windows, which strategically I think will make my kids sleep more. Mm. But um, it, it'll it'll be interesting. We've never done anything like this. So it's a, sort of a Hail Mary play for us. Yeah, I like it. And, you know, if there's daycare on the ship, that's time for mom and dad to get away, but also not be yep. so far. You don't need to drive anywhere. You go somewhere fun. And uh, hopefully no one listening to this is on that cruise because then we just opened you up to nonstop Patriots questions as you're sipping on a deck <laughs> or you're trying to keep kids at arm's length. But, uh, all right, appreciate you coming on, man. And uh, we'll chat soon, all right? Yeah, sounds good. Henry McKenna, regional editor at USA Today. Your Twitter page is USA Today SMG. Give me the acronym for SMG. Sports Media Group. Sports Media Group. Of course, you're at Patriots Wire, have been for a long time. Before that, at ForTheWinAtBoston.com. Henry, I appreciate you coming on. Honestly, when I was thinking of a bold prediction pod, you were among the first people I thought of because you are not afraid to let it fly. That goes for Bill Belichick press conferences. It goes for just casual conversation when we're at or before or after practice. 
And uh, so I know you're bringing the heat today. Yeah. I mean, what's the fun in sports and friendly competition if you don't apply it to your takes? The takes should be competitive. So that's what I'm here for. Yeah, you're here for the sizzle. All right. And you've got a a big name in mind. Um, Tell us about your your bold prediction. Yeah. So mine is that Mac Jones is going to finish in the top five for yards per attempt Mm. this season. Yeah. I uh, wanted to, I wanted to circle Mac Jones. I wanted to to think about how we might see him grow, how we'll see the offense grow in 2022 and what the Patriots plans are for him. I think this prediction sort of encapsulates what I think happens with Mac Jones and what they've built in new England this off season to try and help him get to that place. I don't think Mac Jones is going to be, you know, that prolific of a passer. I don't think suddenly he's a 40 touchdown guy. I don't think he's a 5,000 yards passing guy, but I do think they're going to utilize his deep ball touch, which was there at times. I mean, it was just like the the specific routes and um, connections that he had. Uh, We saw him use it. He, He loves that floater up this, up the sideline to guys like Jacoby Myers. And even to James White, we saw it a lot in training camp, but then James White got hurt. Um, and, and we saw some more, uh, comfort attacking the the deep middle with Kendrick Bourne. So what do the Patriots do? They go out and they get Devontae Parker. They go out and they draft, they trade up to draft the fastest receiver at the NFL combine, Tyquan Thornton. And then they also, maybe they'll hold on to Nelson Aguilar. They'll figure out how to use him a little better. Um, maybe. They uh, make better use of John o. Smith, a guy who's a yards after catch, but that still helps his yards per, that helps still helps Mac Jones's yards per attempt. So I think we've got this group of money ball type skill players. There's no wide receiver one. There's no tight end one, but there's a lot of talent that can catch passes. And most of them are good at stretching the field or it's even better. I'd say a better unit at stretching the field. So last season we saw Mac Jones, at 14th in the league uh, in terms of yards per attempt at 7.3. That was right there actually with Mac Jones, or excuse me, with uh, Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady. Uh, We'll see him sort of leap up into that eight yards per attempt with this supporting cast kind of meshing around him a little bit better. Yeah, I like this prediction and and you hit on it there just because it doesn't speak necessarily just to Mac Jones, right? Like this undertakes the whole philosophy of the offense. And there's been a lot of talk about how is it going to change? And look, we really can't tell that much just from one and a half OTA practices. And there's been some honestly conflicting quotes about, is it a new system? Is it just new terminology? The bottom line is there is change. And I think part of that change will be to mold now fully around Mac Jones's skill set because this is his first off season as you're the guy. And we've heard Bill Belichick talk about everything we did when Tom Brady was here was built around him and his skill set. And you mentioned that deep ball touch you know, he was the best deep ball thrower statistically coming out of the draft. I don't think anyone would say he had the the arm strength for it, but I I think this offense could stand to be a little bit more high risk, high reward, because like you mentioned, the money ball aspect of their skill positions, none of them are home runs. You're going to have to force that a little bit downfield and understand that, look, if you get picked off 40 yards downfield, that's a lot lower cost to pay than 10 yards down the field. So even if there's a lower chance of getting a, a completion, let alone a touchdown, it's just an arm punt if you get picked down there. And I think if you have Nelson Aguilar, who I won't cite the stat that I've cited all offseason, just rebounds a little bit, and Devontae Parker stays healthy, 
your your deep passing game doesn't need a whole lot of plot the philosophical change or mac jones to take a leap all of these small increments really should add up absolutely and, and you and i have sort of gone back and forth a little bit on whether nelson Aguilar will actually be on this team next year mm-hmm. in my mind he's a really way easy way for them to free up salary cap space give him a you know if there's a taker out there and i suspect there would be come september ish uh at roster cuts maybe they deal him away because maybe they think taekwon thornton has the ability to give them what they need at in that sort of outside speed man role um but if but if thornton's not quite there yet and they're not ready to give on up on Aguilar, what you said is is really spot on which is like it doesn't have to be a massive difference a few more deep balls that actually go into Nelson Aguilar's hands and he catches them. Um, that makes a difference for these stats with Mac Jones. And yeah, I mean, look at the, I think the other thing that we haven't really talked about, which is a product of passing game is running game for the Patriots. The, the way that the run game sets up their pass game is going to be almost exactly the same next year. I think it'll be very similar, but we'll see I don't think Damian Harris is going to be all that different of a player, but Ramondre Stevenson could be an evolved player next year. We could even see Pierre Strong uh, taking some touches. I don't know what that would look like, but he's a guy who is, again, we talked about speed with Tyquan Thornton. Well, Pierre Strong, fastest running back at the Combine, uh, much much discussed following the draft was how fast these new skill players are, but well, let's stop uh, on Thornton for a second because you a, okay. had a good piece about him. And I think that, you know, part of that piece illuminated that he was supposed to go higher than everyone. You know, he gets taken in the second round and everyone's freaking out more than they were after Cole Strange. But the the shortcut, forget my small increments about Parker and Aguilar and Mac. The shortcut for Mac Jones getting into the top five yards per attempt is Tyquan Thornton starts week one and doesn't let go of that job and makes Nelson Aguilar expendable because you just can't fake 428 speed. I'm not saying it's going to happen. But I'll ask you, what's your level of confidence that Tyquan Thornton becomes the exception of all this history of bad Patriots draft picks at receiver? Yeah, that is, um, I would say confidence level is medium, like on a, on a (laughs) one to I'm Tom Brady confident. I'm a 7.5. No, I'm just kidding. Let's let's give it a one to 10 scale. I, I give him like, this isn't a hot take, but this is like, I'm a, I'll give him a five. I think you like a you mild to, salsa or is this a medium take? That's a great question. Yes. This is like, I'm, I'm going like medium salsa. Uh, and I'm not talking about like East coast Tostitos salsa. Hmm. I'm talking, let's go get some homemade salsa out in the American West yeah. where there's okay. real, some real heat. Um, but anyway, the uh <laughs> the the Taekwon Thornton uh development, I think there's there's a few things in his way. You talked about the historical um jumps that receivers have to make and that we've seen them fail to make year, 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 year again. Nikhil Harry most recently. Uh everybody's like shouting through their screen about him probably, um, or through their headphones. I think Thornton has uh a lot of the same difficulties that historically we've seen receivers face, even if the terminology is different, even if the system is a little different, we're still looking at, you know, a largely similar Patriots team. That's what makes them good every year is they don't really change that much. 
And so he's got those problems. But the other things that are unique to him, well, the weight thing. Okay, so how much has the NFL game evolved to the point where lighter guys like Devontae Smith can actually make an impact? Um, And so I think it's different now. And Bill Belichick basically said the same thing in a press conference, what was it, a week ago, where he was asking about how, where he was asked about how the team scouts players differently according to league trends. And he says, every year we have to change our evaluation, right, of of these things. So how important is weight? Well, five years ago, maybe it was hugely important. And now it's maybe changing because we're seeing lighter players on the football field. And so a guy like Thornton might be more usable against a lighter defensive back unit sort of league-wide. Thornton was really interesting. And, and Zach Cox noted this immediately after, you know, he's the lightest receiver. He is the, you know, the, has the smallest wrist, the smallest hands, the slowest three cone time. Like it wasn't just, Hey, we changed our prototypes a little bit. Now he fits in to this expanded range or shifted range one way or another. It's he's the ultimate outlier in all these different positions. And I think in order to overcome something like weight, you know, the, the easiest analogy would be quarterbacks, right? Oh, short quarterbacks can play now. Drew Brees did it at six feet. You know, Russell Wilson's 5'10". Kyler Murray's barely 5'9". But you need elite skills around that to, you know, offset the deficiencies for quarterbacks seeing over the line. Are you mobile? Are you incredibly accurate within 10 yards of line of scrimmage? For Taekwon Thornton, he's very good catching the ball away from his body. He's got a good enough kind of skill set getting off of the line. His release package is, is a little bit more advanced. But how is he going to be at the top of his routes? You know, is he physical enough to hold up against kind of the hand grabbing and fighting that goes on? And that's where I think stuff we'll need to watch for in training camp. You know, mini camp was great here as we go into June and then in July. It's just going to take some time because you need to prove that over and over again for him to crack that receiver rotation. And it's not a knock on him if they don't. I think ideally the Patriots go, we'd rather have a good Nelson Aguilar and Vontae Parker because we know what that looks like than relying on a rookie. But for what you're talking about, this offense really changing. Forget the seam stuff. They've never had a player like this. And if he shows up and shows out, even down the stretch as he kind of plays catch up, Tequan Thornton's a game changer. Yeah. And I like, I think we sort of documented how quickly Tyquan Thornton, in order to make the game, to make, to be a game changer, he's got to make the changes in uh, how he, how quickly he can comprehend the playbook and how quickly he can change his body to handle the rigors of the NFL. Because you can see at uh, OTAs, his feet are quick enough to play in the NFL. And then his speed generally is quick enough to play in the NFL. So it's, it's when you watch Troy Brown push him off the line and he really gets like shoved off of his route. And Troy's when you're now. like, Troy looks like he could still yeah. play, but that, that can't happen. Yeah. In practice. That can't happen. So um, I, I think that's kind of the question is how quickly can that happen? And my confidence is, is like right in the middle there. I, I really like him as a player, everything that coaches, say about him which is just the trend when you're talking about a draft prospect it's hope season they're gonna say good things but uh i i like what i heard about taekwon thornton and a lot of nfl teams did according to a source i know that there are five teams interested in thornton in the second round um so we'll see i i think uh what's most likely is that we we see Aguilar and parker those are those are kind of the two guys they lean on Thornton becomes more of a factor as the season progresses. All right. Mac Jones, 7.3 yards per attempt last season. Henry McKenna saying we're jumping that into the top five with Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Tom Brady. I'll get you out on this and different statistic, but we were just talking about his 40 time, 428. Henry, you are 6'4? Yes. 
what is uh you got some long legs what what's your 40 time if you had to give us a range right now are you getting are you sneaking under five i definitely think i could sneak under five well okay now it is 31 (laughs) i could i was really really fast in college uh and nowadays i think i might blow out a hamstring but right, what's what's really really fast though because everyone was great at pickup hoops sometimes in their life and sometimes it means second grade <clears throat> in my case sometimes it mean high school when it kind of counts and college when it counts more uh okay so this is going to be embarrassing because the east coast crowd won't really get it but i was cool. a division one ultimate frisbee player so i was playing with like elite athletes in in the frisbee world which is way more popular out west uh colorado was when you were doing that right yeah i went to colorado college and uh, we competed with with like texas university of colorado um university of british columbia uh all the all the big schools uh that are really good at football a lot of them are good at, at ultimate frisbee um so yeah i was i was uh the fastest guy on my team then we never did times of 40 yard dashes but i don't know i would guess i was like in the four seven range maybe wow. i was i was speedy i'll tell you i ran uh in the best shape of my life maybe three four years ago trained as if i was going to the combine because i was covering penn state at the time and the guy i worked with was like we're going to do combine specific workouts you could still find these on like bodybuilding.com or wherever you pulled them out my bench went up 30 pounds like this was a good six to eight weeks of training he pulls a hammy being a few years older than me but also six four long strides my best 40 time as like average speed guy was five two Mm-hmm. so if you see yeah, so you're doing okay let's just say i'll sneak under five let's erase the fact that i said i was four seven i don't know we'd have to talk <laughs> to my frisbee teammates and see if that if like like what what was doable four seven means you're beating like almost half of the patriots roster like all the linemen are off there and then you're competing with like juan bentley maybe there at that point just just for frame of reference for the folks at home because a lot of people will say oh, i'll sneak under five you know it's that yeah. nice even number offensive right. linemen run five i can do that no 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 Offensive linemen are still elite athletes. They're super fast. Don't get me wrong. I know that. Cool. All right. Henry McKenna, regional editor at USA Today Sports Media Group. Patriots Wires. You can find him. Thanks for taking the time, man. Yeah, thank you, Andrew.